All right. Good morning. I want to jump, jump right into Isaiah chapter 9. It's page 573 in the Black Bibles that you've got there around you. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Men rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. When I read that, I get a little stuck on walking in darkness. And when I think about walking in darkness, I think about mountains in Georgia. And if you don't think there are mountains in Georgia, I would encourage you uh, to make your way to Dahlonega there you will find uh, some ranger instructors that are happy to walk you up and down those mountains until you believe uh, there are mountains in Georgia. I would say my, my most memorable experience of walking in physical darkness um, is being there at night in the mountains, wandering around, patrolling, uh, lost, um, with a giant rucksack on my back and not much food and not much sleep. And not a lot of hope of passing that phase and ever getting out of the Lanaga. Um, walking up and down mountains steeper than I thought there were in Georgia. And falling down in briars so, so thick and sharp that somebody had to cut me out of there um, in the dark. Um, falling down and getting up, banging knees and shins and forehead on branches and stumps and rocks and logs and holes. Um, I think I found every hole on that mountain. Um, Falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up and falling down. So when I read Isaiah 9, I feel verse 2 in my whole body. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. I remember this helpless feeling of wandering in the dark. Um, I'm just following the guy in front of me. I don't know where I am. I'm really hoping that uh, no instructor is about to ask me, Ranger, where do you think you are? I'll tell him I'm lost, I'm in Georgia. Um, you know, and I, I kind of joke about it now, but it really wasn't funny then. Um, that was a night after night after night kind of thing um, with very little feeling of control. You're just walking um, under a weight that was sometimes too much 
to get up. Somebody's got to pick you up. Um, that there was no way out of. There is no quitting. There is no truck that's coming to get you. You just keep on walking and falling down and finding every hole and every briar um, that's there in Georgia. And even that, that was just training. Um, eventually that was over. Um, it's funny now. We can joke about it. I did pass. I'm here to tell you. Um, but that's really nothing compared to the worldly darkness that sets the context for the time of Isaiah and that sets the context for the world that Jesus was born into, that he came to save, and that sets the context for the message this morning. Um, it's a darkness that we face today and every day, um, and so we get through the second advent, and he comes again. And I want to set that context um, by understanding what Isaiah was kind of up against. So he's been chosen um, to be a prophet, which for all of our avid Old Testament readers, like that is not a great profession. Um, if you want to be a popular person in Israel, like it's just not. Um, there's like this much good news and like this much get out there and conflict people. Um, and I think Isaiah knew that. He, uh, he starts out and he asks God because he sees what's coming. And he says, how long is it going to go on like this? How long is this darkness going to last? How long are you going to harden the hearts and stop the ears of your people? How long are you going to send me up to message to these people with hard hearts and stop the ears? Um, and I think we'll, we'll see on the screen what God told him. He said, it's going to go on until cities are devastated without inhabitant and houses are without people. And the land is utterly desolate. Until the Lord has removed people far away, and there are many deserted places in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in the land, it will again be subject to destruction, again, like a massive terebinth tree or like an oak whose stump remains when it's chopped down. The holy seed is in its stump. That's not a little bit dark. That's not a short time of trial. That's not, oh, there it is. I can see the light really close at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's not a bump in the road or a setback. Isaiah was speaking in a time of full-on desolation and exile. You will be ripped from your land. You will be subject to oppression. Your heart will be hardened. Um, that's the context in which Isaiah is prophesying the coming of justice and righteousness and deliverance from oppression and peace without end, the parts of Isaiah 9 that we like, um, that, that we're going to talk more about. Um, and in case we were confused, I'm sure we weren't, but darkness is not just an Old Testament thing, right? Isaiah does eventually, the people come back, return from exile. It's not over. Um, a lot of exile in there. So jumping forward to just a few years after the birth of Jesus, Matthew reaches back to yet another time of exile. He quotes from Jeremiah, another prophet. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
This is describing the loss and anguish of the mothers of Israel. As Herod ordered that all boys, two years and under, in and around the village of Bethlehem, be killed. Taken from their families and killed. This is after the birth of Jesus. This is the world into which God sent his son. And so I want to sit with you in the darkness of those two verses and the thousands more like them that fill our Bible, really cover to cover. Because to do any less would diminish the true joy and glory that we await. And it would divide us from our brothers and sisters that are living a version of those verses today and every day of the year and maybe feeling the weight of the yoke and the rod of the oppressor a little more at this time of conspicuous celebration. Our suffering and lack unite us as creatures living in a fallen world. We read in Romans that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Groaning to escape the bondage and decay that come from the fall. And I'm here to tell you, we ought to groan with it. We ought not to diminish the glory that comes with redemption and restoration. And we ought to be near to the brokenhearted when they feel it when we feel it at this time. But we want to know. It's not always going to be like this. Um, Isaiah does eventually get to some good news. Chapter 35, he foretells a time when the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame shall leap like deer and the tongues of the speechless sing for joy. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's what we're waiting for. That is the joy that we await. Not just some of the blind will see, but all. Not just some of the lame shall walk, but all shall leap. That restoration is only meaningful as much as we understand deprivation. It's only meaningful to those that are deprived, and we are all deprived. But when we paper over our need and lack, as I'm prone to do this time of year, we can be a stumbling block. Isaiah condemned the unholy abundance of a wayward people, saying in chapter 2, their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasure. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. This is not another message about consumption and Christmas. Lexus and Peloton and Santa have been railed against a lot. Um, a lot. You don't need to hear it from me. Um, but those are not the only idols that we have in our lives. Those are not the only things that we look to for light. Happy family, believing children, loving parents, 
no empty chairs, no shrunken tables, a cast of friends, good news to share. These are things that we look to for light. And they are not the light. None of these things are promised by Christmas. All fall short of the glorious promise of everlasting joy in the presence of our Heavenly Father. None of these are the one true light. But every one of them can dazzle and distract. Every one of them can exclude and marginalize by throwing into sharp relief the lack in the life of a brother or sister. We are united in our experience of suffering, in our sinful nature, and in our need for the loving mercy and grace of a Savior whose birth we prepare to celebrate and soon return we await. The Messiah described in Isaiah 9 is the answer to everything lacking in the lives of ancient Israelites, modern Americans, and everyone, everywhere, at all times. We all need a wonderful counselor to guide us rightly rather than lead us astray. We all need a mighty God to comfort us from the terrors of a fallen world. We all need an everlasting father to supersede the flawed and fleeting presence of our earthly fathers. We need a savior to establish and uphold justice and righteousness because we can't do it on our own. To truly appreciate his glory and the joy that awaits, gotta sit for a minute. It's dark out there. It's dark for us. It's dark for our brothers and sisters. And it's right to acknowledge that. It's important to acknowledge that. We can't fail to acknowledge that. Can't lie about it. Can't paper it over. Can't pretend it's not there. Not without hurting ourselves. Not without hurting the people around us. But as important as that is, it's even more important to acknowledge and celebrate. The light of the world is coming and darkness shall not overcome it. It's not just suffering and lack and need that are universal. The gospel is universal. Good news to everyone, everywhere, and our anticipation of the birth of the Savior ought to reflect that universal promise that while we were sinners, God sent into this dark and fallen world his only son, fully God, and yet born a vulnerable child, raised by humble parents, subject to temptation, suffering, and death, that he might rise again, conquering sin and death, redeeming us, and making available by his saving grace the kingdom of his Father in heaven and here on earth. I love the way that Paul says it in Galatians. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption into sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. There is no better news than that. We are delivered out of slavery and into sonship, not set loose to wander, but welcomed into a holy, loving unbreakable family. We are heirs to a heavenly kingdom, 
sons and daughters of God, our everlasting Abba Father with his spirit in our hearts, our comfort and strength right here, right now, on this fallen earth, and someday forever in heaven. That's the light. That's what we're here to celebrate. We are cherished members of an eternal family, adopted and welcomed by the one who loves us, the one who sent his son to be Emmanuel, God with us here and now, who comes for us in our wandering, who gently asks, where are you when we're lost? Who rejoices in each one he finds and saves? Who is the light for all who walk in darkness, who shatters the yokes that hold us down, lifts our crushing burdens, and snaps the rod of our oppressor across his mighty knee. We are subjects in a kingdom ruled by a prince of peace who triumphs without compromise. Not peace or justice. Peace and justice. No trade-off between bringing peace and establishing and upholding justice and righteousness. As the only man who was ever righteous, a man who suffered unjustly, even to the point of death, he's bringing peace and righteousness and justice for all of us. That is the light. He has done the work, and no earthly circumstance can change that. We talked a lot. I opened with a lot of darkness, a lot of lack and suffering. But none of that can take away. None of that can detract. None of that can separate. Paul tells us, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours in Christ who loved us. Not sort of kind of victory overwhelming victory. Not the kind of fair weather victory that's validated in the world, that's marked with bounty and success and comfort. Victory that's real in times of trouble and calamity that cannot be diminished by hunger or persecution or danger or death. Victory that's real in and triumphs over darkness. The light is not dimmed by the darkness. It shines all the brighter. We serve and celebrate the light that John tells us shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. We worship the God that sent his son to be the true light, which enlightens everyone. My heart is glad every minute I get to spend thinking, writing, and talking about the light of the world, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The darkness cannot overcome his light. But we can still miss it a little bit. We can overlook it. We can fail to fully appreciate it. I want to go back to Georgia. I don't really want to go back to Georgia, but I'm going to take this message back to Georgia. Um, wandering around in the dark. The goal of all that wandering was eventually to end each night in a patrol base. A little triangle of semi-safety. It's a place where you could eat the little bit that you had to eat and sleep for the little bit of time that you had to sleep before you get up and do it all again the next day. And the entrance to the patrol base was marked with a chem light. Think like a little glow stick that you would take camping. Um, in daylight, or an artificial light, 
You can barely tell. If it's been activated, you're going to walk right past it if it's tied to a tree. But at night, full-on darkness, tired, hungry, scared of failing, being stuck in Delanaga forever, you can't miss it. It's right there. It says, come on in. There is safety here. Advent is a season of preparation. And part of that preparation is making sure that there's nothing competing with or distracting us from the light that's coming. It's about opening our eyes and being fully awake to the darkness around us, the darkness that afflicts the world and the people in it, so that we can fully appreciate the glory of the one true light, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, um, I would encourage you to do two things. Pray that God would focus your heart on the joy that he has promised and the desires that he has given. He is the one true light, which enlightens everyone, and he is coming. So let's be focused on that light and the joy that he brings and the desires that he gives us, emptying ourselves of everything else, any other glaring and distracting lights. Put them away. Pray for that focus on the joy and the desire that he is giving, the light that is coming. And second, find an opportunity to extend grace instead of expectation. Lord, deliver us from our expectations, um, our own and those that are projected on us by others, especially at this time of year. I encourage you to be awake to the darkness and strive to reflect, not expectation, not any glory of your own, but only the light of Jesus that has come into the world and been offered to us that we can take into our hearts and offer to others. If you would, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity to gather together to hear it. Thank you for sending your son into our dark and fallen world to be our one true light. Fill our hearts with that light and help us to reflect it to others, to offer it to all who walk in darkness. Son's name, amen.